0: Welcome back to the Grand Point Church Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Stein, and today's message is the final one in our series called Improve Our Serve, and it's from Pastor Lawrence Metzler. We're talking about what it looks like to be a Secret Service agent, not the kind that works in D.C., but the kind of person who serves without a need for recognition. Today's message reminds us that the motivation behind our serving is very important to God. Our motivation is the why behind our service. Why do we do what we do? If you'd like to follow along with today's message, our feature verses come from Matthew 6, 1 through 4.
1: Let's go ahead and give it up for our unsung heroes all across this campus. People serving, people giving... Amen. You know, they don't do it for that applause, obviously, but we're, we're thanking God for the gifts of service that God has given to so many people and blessed you with, blessed our church with. Hey, can you believe it's the last Sunday of February already? Which simply means that next week when we get together, it will be March. March the 3rd, and on March we're beginning a brand new message series uh, called Made For, or you were made for it, or uh, something, something made for, I just went blank here, but... Uh, Hang on a second. Made to be. Made to be. That's it. Made to be. Here's, here's why this is so important to remember. Right? Made to... <laughs> Made to be. I don't know if you. I don't know if you know this or not, but what we're doing right now in our message series, all all through this 2019 year, is we're copying exactly what the kids are learning in the elementary classes. This is by design and intention. So if you're coming home and you're like, and you're getting your kids' papers, I'm like, wait, that's what we just did in in big church today. That is by design. We want the whole family to kind of connect together on a theme, on a text, and on a story that the, we can talk about. Now, for some of you that That does not necessarily apply or connect with you, but for a lot of our families, it does. So next week, we're beginning this series called Made to Be, and it is a a series designed specifically to help you discover and kind of look into the very fact that you were created as a a one-of-a-kind being. You were created. We're going to use the text of Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 and 27 to unpack that wonderful truth. And it's in that text where Jesus says, we're going to look at specifically at verse 27. Uh, Jesus says, so, or God says, so God made man in his image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Now, we're going to look at that and we're going to talk about the difference uh, between being created or having evolved and the difference of value that that brings to your life. See, some of us go through life and we struggle with image, a self-image, and maybe we have insecurities and we're kind of messed up with what our image is. We're going to talk about the very fact that your image ought to be of extreme value because God created you. And then, and the very fact that he created you in his image brings about a purpose and a design for your life, and the fact that He created us male and female speaks specifically to the roles that different genders play. See, unless we re- get this verse, this one verse of Scripture, we're going to be a little bit confused about our, our, our vision or our image. We're going to be confused about what that is, and it might become a distorted image in your mind. We're also going to struggle with what our purpose is, and we may even struggle or become confused with gender identity. And so unless we get, and and this happens to all of us, right, at different places, so we're going to come together and have a conversation about that verse, what it means to be created in his image as male and female. So we're hoping that you're back for that. But until we get there, we have one more message to go in this series called Improving Your Serve, which has been all through the month of February. If you just walked in here today and you have no idea who we are or what we've been doing or if you're one of those people that has been vacationing in the Bahamas for the whole month of February, welcome back to the cold north. Let me tell you what we've been doing here, right? Uh, so throughout this month, we started off in week number one, highlighting the fact that at our salvation, what Jesus did at our salvation was only the beginning of our life with Him. Sometimes we get the idea that being a christian is all we do at some point at some place at some time in our lives We say this prayer and we invite jesus christ to come into our heart And then we kind of go through the rest of our life and do whatever we want to do until that day when we meet him in heaven Now, one of the things that we believe around here is that that's not exactly why Christ saved you. We do not want to undervalue or undermine the value of that eternal reward. But when Jesus Christ saved you, he did not save you to sit and wait for heaven. He created you to serve the body of Christ. So he has given every every single person a unique gift to be able to serve the body of Christ. And in fact, he is the greatest example for that. Jesus himself says, I did not come into this world to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many people, including all of us. And the greatest act that Jesus gave in that demonstration was that day when he took off his outer robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and then he knelt down and he washed his disciples' feet. It was the lowest, most humiliating act of service that anyone could do, even lower than the lowest of servants. But Jesus did that. And then after he washed his disciples' feet, he said, now what I have done to you, I want you to do to other people. And of course, we know that that doesn't mean that we go around just literally washing somebody's feet, but it means that we go around and we serve them. And it doesn't matter who it is. Jesus even served Judas, who was about to betray him. We even serve people that we are not liking, maybe, and we know that are against us. And we serve people that are of the lowliest of the low. That's what we do. That kind of led to the second message of week number two. And that is that you have been given a gift. Every single person in this room and on this stage has been given a gift by God for the benefit of the body. And and that simply means this. That no one else, no one else can do what God has made you to do. So you have been given a gift, a specific gift to serve the body of Christ. And unless that happens, somebody's going to be missing out. And I often think about that. What if I miss the gift that God has given me? What if I miss opportunities to serve? That means someone out there misses on the receiving end. And so we want, to be, we want to make sure that we use these gifts. And that leads into the third message, which was last week's message, whatever gift it is that you have, it doesn't matter how small or insignificant it seems, God can use it to make a big difference if you're willing to use it. And we use the story of Jesus taking the five loaves and the two fish and fed, uh, and, and he used that, that little bit, little biscuits and little fish to feed 5,000 people plus the, the women and children. Now, after we had that message, someone came up to me and they said, do you realize that we have been created in fives and twos? Never thought about this, but they said, yeah, you have five fingers, five fingers on each hand, you have five toes on each foot, but you have two hands and you have two feet and you have two eyes and two ears and two nostrils and two jaws and all of those things feed into our five senses. So there you go. Take that for what it's worth. Tuck it away. Just know that you were created for significance. You were created to do something regardless of how simple and small it seems, but you've been given that significance. Now we're coming to the last message in the series, and it's this message that Jesus gives us some final instructions about serving. And we're going to jump into the text of Matthew chapter 6. And these instructions actually come to us in the form of a warning. They come to us in the form of a warning. So take your Bibles or look, look with me on the screen for Matthew chapter 6. It'll be up there in a, in a moment. And uh, the very first word actually is, in our text, is the word beware. Now I might add that when I read this in my Bible, it's all red letters. You know what that means, right? That means that this is not a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul or Peter or John or one of those guys to a church, It's not a a prophet writing some kind of a prophecy or recording something that God spoke to them. No, these are the very words of Jesus. And Jesus comes along and he gives this warning about serving. The very first word of the text is the word beware. Now you know what that means, right? When you see the signs that say beware, beware you know that there's an imminent danger within that area. So if you're driving down the road and you see the sign that says, beware of falling rocks, that means that there could be rocks coming off that mountain. If you see a sign that says, beware of moving parts, that means you're around a piece of machinery that could kind of eat you up. If you're at at the beach, and you see the sign that says, beware of the currents, the undercurrents, it means that they could draw you out. If you're in Florida, you'll see the sign that says, beware of the alligators. Most of of the time around here, you see signs that say, beware of the dog. I remember walking up to one house one time, visiting someone, and there's a little sign stuck right in the garden that says, never mind the dog, beware of the wife. I have no idea what was going on in that house, but somebody felt need to put that sign out there. So, Jesus comes along and he says, beware. Let me tell you what's happening here. When Jesus says, beware, and he gives us this warning, what it is, it's, it's a picture of what our heavenly father is all about. It's the picture of a father who wants to protect his children. So as a really good father, he's giving his children some warning about dangerous stuff. So part of what's happening in Matthew chapter 6, 1 to 24, Jesus is saying, hey, don't run with the scissors. Don't play out in the street. Don't play with fire. And when Jesus says this, goes when you're a kid and you get rules like that, like you don't really understand the love behind that at the moment. But here's what's happening. The parent is not trying to take from you some illicit joy, but they're just trying to keep you from burning yourself or burning the house down. They're a good parent. It's not about you having fun, but it's about you being safe. So what Jesus says in Matthew 6 is, hey, be careful. Be careful. Beware as sons and daughters of God because there is a wrong way to do the right thing that could ultimately hurt you. Now, if you don't remember anything else, that's basically the message in a sentence right there. Beware because there is a possibility of you, when it comes to serving, of doing the right thing in the wrong way, and when you do it in the wrong way, it can ultimately hurt you. Let me unpack this for a moment because I want you to make, make sure that you get this. See, in the normal process of life, there are stages of development that we naturally go through. So, from the cradle of infancy to the creation of words to the crawling of the tiny arms and legs, children go through phases of figuring out how this world works. The infant becomes a toddler, and then the toddler becomes a detective. You know what I mean? This is when they begin, like like when they're four years old and they begin to ask all kinds of questions. And it usually starts with questions about how the world works. Where does the sun go at night? Where do bananas come from? Where does rain come from? Where does milk come from? Where do babies come from? And then we change the subject. And then there comes that stage where every question begins with why. Why is the grass green? why can't I have a lollipop for breakfast? Why can't vegetables taste like chicken? Why can't we grow sausage in the garden? And and exhausting as these why questions are, I can imagine there are moments within these that where these incessant questions of little toddlers come to parents with a certain measure of conviction because they force us to articulate the reasons why. Uh, why? why do we do the things that we do? It forces us to maybe take a check on the motivation behind our actions. Why do we go to church? Why do we pray? Why do we only pray when grandma's here? Why do we sing at church? Why do we put money in the plate when it is passed? Why do we only talk about God on Sundays? Why were you so angry in the car, but then you were so nice when you got into church, Right? Why do we volunteer? Why do we serve? See, the inquisitiveness of kids can be convicting because it forces us to realize that sometimes we do the right things for the wrong reasons. Well, the final message in this series from Matthew chapter 6 is simply a check on the motivation behind why we do what we do behind our service. Now, verse 1 is a summary statement, and let me read that for you. And it says, and I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, Matthew chapter 6 verse 1 says, beware. There it is. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people to be seen by them. Now, in order to is a, sub, is a, is a subordinating conjunction which speaks to the motivation behind your acts of righteousness. So when Jesus says, be careful, beware that you do not practice your acts of righteousness, and then he gives the reason why. Because, I don't want your motivation to be because of people watching you. Let's, let's break this down a little farther. Verse 2 says this, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the, who? Hypocrites, Hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be, what? praised by others. Matthew chapter 6 verse 5. And when you pray you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. All the way down to verse 16. And when you fast do not look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces and their fast so that their fasting may be seen by others. Now this text is kind of crazy in that Jesus is giving us warnings about about giving, about praying, and about fasting. Normally we don't have warnings about those kind of things because those are things that we ought to do. Now don't don't hear me don't hear me wrong. Uh, Jesus is not saying that we should not do those things. All he is saying is that we should not do those things like who? The hypocrites, the hypocrites. In older Greek, a hypocrite was an actor. It was a reference to the Greek actors in the theaters. And what the Greek actors would do at that time is they would wear masks over their faces so that they would disguise who they are in order to play the part of someone else. At this time, there were only male actors in the Greek theater. So if there was a female part to play, they would wear a female mask in order to play the part of somebody else. So a hypocrite is a performance of being someone that you are not. In other words, it's being a fake. Now, fakery is a big part of the culture of fallen humanity, right? We fake our way through life in a lot of different ways. Paul David Tripp, in one of his devotions, brings this to our attention when he says, maybe you fake it. Maybe you are fake when you tell a story in a way that makes you much more of a hero than when the incident really happened, right? It kind of sets you up to receive the glory, Perhaps you're a fake when you make your job seem more important than it really is. Maybe you fake it when you finagle your way into buying a house that is way pricier than what you can responsibly afford. Maybe you fake it when you work your way into a friendship with people who are far more affluent and positioned than you will ever be. Maybe you perhaps your fakery is seen best when you act as if you have a whole lot more theological understanding than you really have, or you're more committed to ministry than you really are. Perhaps you fake it in your marriage. When you present your marriage as being far more mature and peaceful than what it it really is. Or maybe you're fake when you fail to reach out for help when you're at the end of your rope as a parent. Maybe your fakery is your unwillingness to confess to the person next to you that you struggle with the same area of sin that he or she has just confessed to. Or maybe your fakery is the big boundary that you have put between your polished persona And the messier details of your private life. Maybe you fake yourself out all the time when you tell yourself that you're more righteous than you are. See, hypocrisy is not merely a deceiving of others into thinking you're more righteous than you are. But hypocrisy at its very heart is the deceiving of ourselves to believe that the recognition that comes from other people is actually the same as our righteousness. So here's what we do. We sometimes, we serve, and we give, and maybe even from this platform, we do these things, and we receive acknowledgments from other people. And the the hypocrisy would be when we take that praise from other people and equate that to our righteousness. I'll be honest with you, this is a very big issue that when it comes to public ministry. For those of us that come onto this stage and we play instruments or we sing or we speak or we do anything from this platform, uh, it becomes it becomes a real danger for us. Now, when we do this, we want to present ourselves well, and we want to do the best that we can with an instrument, or with a song, or with a message. And by the way, we do appreciate the compliments that come, uh, you know, if, you, if something has touched your heart, or your life, or you acknowledge that someone uh, just nailed it in one of these instruments. And it's okay for you to give that person the compliment. I had a person come to me one time after a, a Sunday morning message, and they said, wow, you have gotten so much better than when you first came here. <laughs> you know that can be taken two ways, right? That means like I was like, like really good when I came, and I got a whole lot better, or I was really bad when I first came here, and I got a little bit better. Kind of like, you know, getting the most uh, most uh, improved player award, right? means that you were bad, and you improved a little bit, but uh I like it if someone tells me we did a good job with the message. The musicians are very encouraged if you tell them that your, the song they did was good or that even that their, their performance was good. Uh, or you can compliment their ability. A little over a week ago here at... Uh, Grand Point Church. We had what was called the Grandy Awards, and the the Grandy Awards was this invitation to all of our musicians and tech team members. We had about eighty people come out for this, and uh, what it was, it was an opportunity just to honor them and to thank them for what they do often behind the scenes. And so we had a, a few breakout sessions where you could go and you could sharpen your skills uh, on specific. Instruments or technology or production, whatever you're involved in. And it was an opportunity for people to share uh, with each other how they do it and what they do in those positions. But one of the, one of the events or one of the components of the evening was a panel discussion in which we had uh, several pastors and musicians here. And uh, we would, we would receive questions from the audience. And one of the questions that came from the audience was this. How do you respond? Or how should you respond when someone compliments or praises your ministry? And Andrea Swisher, one of our worship leaders from the Shippensburg campus, had this awesome response when she said, Kindly thank them for their encouragement. Allow them to acknowledge your gift and thank God for, you know, that person. Let them know how they blessed you and encouraged you. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, just lay all of those crowns at the feet of Jesus. And that's what we do. At at the end of the day, that's that's kind of the sign that it's all for him and not for us. Unto him be the glory and not to us. See, the problem is, our problem is when we make your recognition our measure of righteousness, that would be the very core of hypocrisy. Doing the right things for the wrong reasons is worthless in the eyes of Jesus. Because when Jesus gives these examples of the hypocrite, doing the right things for the wrong reasons, Jesus says they have already received their reward. They've received their reward from man. I'm not about to give them any more reward. They sacrifice, they forfeit the reward of Christ in their lives. It's worthless in the eyes of Jesus. So when Jesus says it's possible to be a hypocrite when you give, when you pray, and when you fast, or when you do any act of service, it becomes a check for us. Why do we do what we do? Why do we uh, sing? Why do we play an instrument? Why do we surf? Why do we, you know, give? And all of those things that we do uh, begs us to ask the question. See, motivation is defined as that which moves someone toward an action. That which changes, provokes, or impels our very sense of being. And you need to know that the motivation for Christians is exactly the opposite as it is for unbelievers. Because the unbeliever is going to serve and they're going to do things for recognition or for pay. Uh, believers do it for a totally different reason. We do it because our inspiration simply comes from God, not from the things of this world. David captured this. I love this. Watch what David, how David said this in a couple of Psalms. He says in Psalm 40 verse 8, he says, I desire to do your will, O God, for your law is written in my heart. I don't know if that's where you're at or not, but David's like, God, I I just want to serve you. I just want to know you, and I want to do your will because your word is just like all over my heart, like it's planted deep within me. I just want to work this out. That is my motivation for life. Another time he wrote in Psalm 73 verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. In other words, David was saying, listen, the applause of people on this earth pales in comparison to the glory I receive just from giving my life to you and worshiping you. Again, a motivation. Jesus set the example for our motivation in life when he said in John chapter 4, verse 34, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Right? Jesus was all about the father's work. He wasn't here for his own glory. There was absolutely no glory in what he did anywhere. I mean, he could have received some applause for some of those miracles, but he certainly wasn't applauded on the cross. But he did all of that because he was about his father's will. And then the apostle Paul spoke of what motivated him to endure even the suffering that he experienced when he said in Philippians chapter 1 verse 21, for me to live is Christ. All oh, it was not money. It wasn't fame. It wasn't even to be the best apostle in town. His desire was not to have the biggest synagogue in town. It was living for Jesus that superseded everything. What is it that motivates you to do what you do in the areas of serving? Is it purely because you love the Lord or is it because you love the recognition or the praise of men and women around you? Our righteousness should never be determined by whether or not we have an audience. One more thing that I want to leave you with, and I'm going to kind of unpack this as we kind of wrap this up here this morning. But I believe what Jesus is saying as he follows up on all three of these examples, is this, don't settle for trinkets when you could have a treasure. Three times, three times, Jesus says that the Father will reward uh, the, one, the one who does things in secret the Father will reward what is done in secret, one each in respect to our giving and our praying and our fasting. Now, by implication, we can apply this to other areas of devotion and serving as well. See, God does not want us to take our gift that he has given us and then use it to show off to other people, uh, especially when he's the audience. And when we do that, when we take that God-given gift and use it for the praise of man, it cheapens the gift. It nullifies the sacrifice behind it and it calls into question the motivation behind why we use it or why we do it. It substitutes the reward of knowing him with cheaper prizes. It undoes everything our obedience to him is supposed to do. Do you know why this is a danger for us? This whole thing is a danger for us because we are a tangled mess of fears and insecurities. I mean, all of those things characterize our lives. We fear about what people think about us, and we, we have all these fears. Am I doing enough? Am I doing it the right way? Am I good enough? And we, 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 we tend to perform and, and overperform, perhaps, to conquer some of those fears. And then there's all of the insecurities, like I can't do something as good as they do, or this person does, and you feel insecure, so you kind of, you kind of override it, and all of those things, and we end up performing instead of just practicing our righteousness before God, we seek temporal comfort, we seek, we seek status, and we seek approval from people. And with all of those variations that work in our lives, listen, our motives are rarely pure. And so this is a message to really call us to check our motives and to bring them into a place of purity. And one way that God uses to clarify our intentions and our motives, for our sake, of course, because he already knows what they are, Remember, God sees right into your heart. He looks right into my heart every time that I'm up here. He looks right into your heart every time you're serving. He knows exactly why you are doing what you're doing. But one of the ways that he brings this about is a check for for our sake. And it's to invite us to relate to him in private. That's what he does. He invites us to relate to him in private. Oh, there's a public side of our relationship with God in that we share our faith with other people right, and we pray together when we come together in our circles, and we love on each other as the body of Christ, and all of those are public displays perhaps of our faith. But your private time with God is a treasure compared to the trinkets of public praise. Your private time with God is a treasure compared to the trinkets of your public, uh, of public praise. See, if you find no joy at all in private time with God, what you've just discovered is what God knew all along. And that is that you're a performer, you're an actor, you're you're a hypocrite. Performing our faith like an actor on stage for reasons other than for our love for him. See, private devotion is our primary method for exposing an impure heart, right? It removes all pretense and asks us, is there anything left? Oh, remember David. David says, I just desire to do your will, O God, for your law was written, where? Just in my heart. I can imagine just his private time with God. He's he's like in the word and he's loving this word and things are becoming alive and it's, it's changing his life. And as a result of what God has shown him in the private times with him, he now goes and he serves. But he doesn't serve to get the recognition. No, he serves because of his private moments with God. See, private devotion is God's primary method of exposing an impure heart. And when we get with God and our personal time with God, if we're finding that to be a struggle or there's no delight or no joy or it's not a priority in our lives, it simply exposes the very fact that we don't have much there in terms of of flowing out of our righteousness with him. But what we do is we go through life then as actors. And that's called hypocrites. Have you ever heard someone say that the church is full of hypocrites? you know and and sometimes they look at that and and they're right And, and and a good response to that is well yeah but there's always room for one more right so come and join us because some people use that as a reason for not joining a church or not attending the church because the church is hypocrites we see them do one thing there but we see them live their lives in a totally different way oh that is a hypocrite that's wearing a mask and that's not where our service flows from not true service Our service flows from our private time with God and simply out of the fact that we love him. Don't settle for trinkets of man's praise when you can have the treasure of God's reward. And three times, Jesus says the Father will reward to to what is done in secret. We have a son, our 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 youngest son is about 28 years old, 29? I forget how old Dustin is, but he's... uh, preaching this morning at Providence Church in, in Lancaster, and it's a proud moment for Penny and I whenever we know that our son is, is preaching. Um, he calls it Dad Dynasty, which kind of like that, right? But uh, last night he, uh, he texts me and he says, Dad, I just did my first run through of my message and it's 59 minutes long. Do you think that's too short? 59 minutes. And my response to Dustin was, Dustin, man, you're on to a series, right? That's a series, not a single message. I said, really, you need to cut that in half. If you really want the people to like you, cut it in half so, so that you can really, you know, get, the, get these people to like you. Well, he texts me back and he says, Dad, I'm doing this for an audience of one. Ouch. He got me, right? He got me. So I thought, okay, he's right. He's doing this for the Lord, not for the praise of people. But then God gave me this inspiration to share with them. And I said, okay, but if you want another opportunity to do this for God, cut it in half, right? Cut it in half. <coughs> but really what we're called to do is serve one, isn't it? We're called to serve an audience of one. And, and listen, that is so right on because he deserves our glory. He is worthy of it all. He is worthy of everything that we offer. He's the one who has given us the gifts in the first place. He's the one who has given us the talents. He's the one who has given us the opportunities. So we give it all back to him. Let's stand and do that this morning. Let's declare that he alone is worthy. He is the one to be exalted above all else. And I'm going to come back with one final point after we sing this message. But let's stand and sing to you. point I want to leave you with before we leave this place today, and that is this what Christ did for us compels us to serve. Would you agree? I mean, you think about it. Think about what he did for us. He had everything. He had everything in the glory of heaven, but he left it all. He came down here to walk in this dirty, ugly world with us, to live among us, to serve us, to sacrifice his life for us. Because of that, you and I have the hope of eternity. We have abundant life now and the calling to make a difference in this world. He deserves the glory for that, amen. It compels us to serve. Go ahead, give it up for him. Give it up for our God. Come on, we can do better than that. Exalt him this morning. It's all for him, amen. Amen, amen. Yes. So bless him, to honor him is our only motivation for serving. Amen. Let's pray together. God, send us from this place now as your servants. Oh, just desiring to give our lives to you in the same way that you gave yours for us. God, help us to serve like you did, to make a difference in this world, to love those around us, to serve the needy, the poor, the unlikely, and even those that are right within our context this week. God, we want to be your servants. We want to serve well. In Jesus' name, God's church said, amen. Amen. God bless you.
0: Maybe this final message challenged you more than some of the others. It can be hard to serve selflessly. True service is not about religious performance. It's about spiritual transformation. This week, evaluate your private time with God. Is it your most exciting time of the day? Does it fulfill you more than the accolades of public praise? Invite God to show you the motivation for serving others. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Grand Point Church podcast. Your next step starts here. To learn more about us, visit grandpoint.church. And if you call Grand Point your home, we would love to invite you to join our weekly newsletter. It's where you'll find all the next step opportunities we have available for you. I'll add a link to the show notes. And hey, if you're enjoying this podcast, we would love for you to leave a review on iTunes. Even if that's not where you normally listen to your podcast, it helps other people find us so they can take their next steps too. We'll see you next week.